You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, in four or five conversations this past week, we, you and I, talked about how the world is falling apart about how the news gets worse and worse every day. It seems like this entire world is covered in war, and our own nation is covered in violence. And this was before Friday, before the tragedy and the horror of the violence brought to a school in Connecticut. Now, I know, we know that things have always been bad, even with the people of God. On Tuesday morning, we were studying the Old Testament kings, and we looked at the reign of King Manasseh in Jerusalem, how he built pagan altars in the midst of the temple, how he sacrificed his own sons to the false gods. Those were bad times indeed. And the point is this. The world has always been stained with, with sin. The world has always been covered in darkness. Since Adam and Eve, all of us have walked in a veil of tears. But it does seem to me, it feels to me, and I think it does to you because you've told me, like things are coming unraveled at the seams. A pastor friend of mine pointed out yesterday how appropriate the collect for Gaudate is to pray, especially considering the tragedy that happened this week, the mess of the world that we lived in. That We prayed it already. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. Amen. We live in a world that is dark, and that darkness is not only outside of us, it's inside of us as well. We live in a world full of sin, and that sin is not just outside of us, it's inside of us as well. We live in a world of death, and that death does not just belong to others, that death belongs to us as well. So this is the perfect Advent prayer. Lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. Advent as a season is training us to wait for God's visitation. And this is good. Because we know that something is wrong with the world. We know it. That things are not like they're supposed to be. And we know then that we're waiting for another, for another world, for another place, for another time. We know that something is wrong with us. That we are not how we are supposed to be. And so we look for the Savior. We know every which way we turn that we are in the midst of death. And so we look and we long and we pray and we expect that the Lord would bring to us life and light and hope and joy. And that these things all are to come. Now this, this expectation, this waiting and longing and hoping, this is why the season of Advent is the season of John the Baptist. 
Because he's the one who would come before the Messiah and make a straight way for him. He would raise up the valleys and knock down the mountains, remember? And John did this by preaching. He knocked down the pride and he raised up the lowly by preaching the law and righteousness and baptizing for the remission of sins. John announced that the kingdom of God was right around the corner and and that the Messiah was coming as well to bring this kingdom. Now, I... I think John the Baptist is a fascinating character. And the more we study and learn about John, the more we start to see that. I mean, there's some marvelous things that John did in the Gospels. I mean, even the prophets, even even before the Gospels, the prophets tell about John and about all the things that he's going to do. He's promised in Isaiah and in Malachi, at least. And then there's the nativity of John. That his mother, Elizabeth, in her old age, finally conceived. And that his father, Zacharias, was struck mute in the temple until at last he was born and he named the boy John and he could sing out the Benedictus. There's the story of John. Remember this? This is incredible. John leaping in the womb when Mary comes, pregnant with Jesus, his cousin. Jesus and John were cousins. Six months, uh, uh, John was six months older than Jesus. And Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. And John leaps in the womb for joy that his Savior is there. That was his first sermon. <laughs> and he was a famous preacher after that. I mean, his pulpit was not quite as nice as this one. He preached in the wilderness, remember? Wearing camel skin. Locust legs and wings hanging out of his teeth. And the smell of wild honey on his breath. He was so famous, John was so famous, that people knew of him all throughout the world, even as far as Ephesus in Asia Minor, or maybe even farther in Macedonia. And Luke tells us that all Judea, that is Jerusalem and all of the surrounding towns, went down to see and hear John preaching on the Jordan River, a few miles north of where the Jordan River emptied into the Dead Sea. Uh, John caused quite a stir. The Pharisees sent an official delegation to question John and ask if he was presenting himself as the Messiah. And John did to them what he did best. He preached Jesus and he pointed away from himself to Christ. In fact, that was John's greatest work. That he baptized Jesus, showing him to be the Messiah. That he proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah, the long-expected one to come. The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. That was John's greatest sermon, and he preached it twice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, so disruptive a figure in history was John. Such a hero he was to so many people that Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, could write that Herod Antipas was worried that the crowds around John were getting ready to start a rebellion. But John was not interested in rebellion, but in the righteousness of God and the coming of his kingdom. John himself says that he must decrease so that Jesus must increase. And this pointing to Jesus is shown in that even some of John's disciples left John to go become Jesus' disciples. And that's Andrew and John. We know that the followers of John also believed in Jesus and that many of the followers of Jesus, if not most of the followers of Jesus, who followed him during his ministry had been baptized by John. But all of them surely knew John to be a great prophet who pointed to Christ. 
In fact, the end of John's life would come because of his unbridled boldness in preaching. Herod Antipas, this fellow that we mentioned earlier, he was one of the three sons of Herod the Great who divided the split three-way split kingdom after Herod the Great died. Herod Antipas had married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, who was also both Philip and Herod's niece. It's a bit of a mess. In fact, the whole story of the Herod family is a disaster. But here, Herod Antipas had married his, his niece, also his, brother, his brother's wife. And John preached against this and found himself in prison, Herod's prison, probably in the prison called uh, Machaerus, which is a few miles east of the Dead Sea in Perea, the region that was east of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea that Herod reigned there. And Herod was there in this fortress, Macraeus, uh, preparing for battle against the kingdom to the east, the Nabati. And he's throwing a party and has all of his generals there. And into the room dances Salome, the daughter of Herodias, his, his wife. And so pleased was Herod with the dancing of Salome that he says to her, whatever you want, I'll give to you. And she goes and consults with her mother. And they decide that the prize for her dancing would be the head of John the Baptist served up on a platter. And that's what she gets. That's what John gets for being a faithful preacher. This is quite a stunning life that John the Baptist had. And, and of all of those highlights that are in there, there's all of these heroic moments from his conception all the way to his death. It's true what Jesus says, that there's never been a greater man born before the kingdom of God, born of a woman, than John the Baptist. Which is why it's so surprising to me that when John the Baptist comes into the church here and we're first given a glimpse of John, it's not him heroically standing on the edge of the Jordan River preaching repentance. It's not his baptizing of Jesus in the waters with the Spirit coming down in the form of a dove. It's not his, his bold stand against Herod and his being thrown into prison. No, when we first are introduced to John, we find him in prison doubting if Jesus is the Messiah. Sending his disciples to ask if Jesus is really the one. We're introduced to John the Baptist at his lowest moment, at his weakest moment ever, at least that we know of. There in the darkness of prison, fighting against doubt and despair. We see John the Baptist in the gloom, in the dumps, about to die. Fighting against the devil, who is doing, make no mistake, everything he can at this point to steal away John's faith. And this is surprising. I, at least I think it's surprising. Because we always want a hero. We, we want someone at last who has it all together. Someone who never doubts. But dear friends, such a saint does not exist. The Bible does us the favor of showing the greatest prophets and the greatest people of God in their sin. So, so that we could see that their salvation, like our salvation, is 100% a matter of the Lord's mercy. 
David and Moses and Abraham and Adam and Elijah and John and Paul and all of them need the Lord, needed the Lord's forgiveness just as much as you do. And they had the Lord's forgiveness just as much as you do. And in this they are our example. For they knew their sin and they knew where to look for comfort. More about that later, but uh, to look at the text from Matthew chapter 11. Can you imagine how it was then with the crowd all around Jesus and the disciples come from John in prison. They go and they cross the Jordan River and they come and they find Jesus in Galilee and he's teaching and there's crowds gathered around Jesus and these crowds would have been the disciples of John. They would have known of John. They would have had a high regard for John. And then into the midst of this crowd comes a couple of disciples from John and everyone would quiet down and say, oh, they're from John in prison. He has a question for the, for the Lord. And these disciples come and they say, uh, dear Jesus, uh, John wants to know if you're really the one. Can you imagine the ripple that that would have caused through the crowds? John is doubting Jesus? He's the one that told us that Jesus was the Messiah. It'd be like hearing that your old pastor, the pastor that, that brought you through confirmation class, the, the pastor that gave you your first communion, the pastor that, that baptized you and taught you Jesus, it'd be like learning that he'd left the church. This was quite a stir. So that after these disciples leave, Jesus takes up the defense of John before the crowd. Here it is in the text. As the disciples went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see then? A man dressed in soft clothes? Behold, men wearing soft clothes are in the king's house. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, says Jesus, more than a prophet. For he is who, it, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, and yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Just because you see his doubts does not mean that he is not a man of God. Just because you see his questions does not mean that he's a prophet. For your doubts, dear saints, do not take away your faith. In fact, this is what your Christian life is. Faith. Fighting back despair. Trust in God's Word. Beating back doubt and fear. That, in fact... I think I've told you this before, is how Philip Melanchthon in the, in the uh, treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope in our Lutheran confessions, it's how he defines worship. If you can imagine it, worship is faith fighting against despair. So what was John doing in prison? He was worshiping Jesus. Fighting back despair on the edge of execution because he knows what to do. He sends his disciples. He sends his disciples not to talk to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the uh, some other rabbi. He sends his disciples to go and talk to Jesus, get his word, and it works. The disciples asked 
Jesus, John's questions, and Jesus answers with a string of Old Testament promises fulfilled in his ministry. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What wonderful things are happening here. Because John, even in his despair, knows to go to Jesus. And Jesus knows just how to comfort John by giving him the Scriptures. And I think, dear saints, in the midst of all of the trouble, in the midst of all of the sorrow... And amidst all of the confusion and doubt and temptation from the devil that we have today and all of our lives, this is a beautiful picture for us. In our fears and in our doubts, we look to Jesus. In our confusion and in our temptation, we look to Him. And he, to give us comfort, gives us his word. No matter how bad things get, there is for you Jesus and his scars and his smile with his blood and his word and his comfort and his peace, with his promise that he is with you, with the comfort that he knows what it's like to suffer and he knows what it's like to bleed. He, he even knows what it's like to be killed at the hands of wicked men. He knows these things. And still he loves you. And still he forgives you. And one day soon, it couldn't be soon enough, but one day soon, he will take from you all fear and all death and all of the effects of sin, and he will bring you to himself. And in the midst of tears, this is our great hope. Dear saints, Jesus has not abandoned you. He has died for you. He has not forgotten you. He has forgiven you. And in the darkness of these latter days, the light of his love shines even brighter. May God grant us a spirit that our eyes and our hearts would be fixed on that light. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 
Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.